Today is week one of Lent. Ash Wednesday kicked off the historic season of Lent in the church calendar, the 40 days that lead up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And as you've been hearing us talk about, we are marking Lent by uh, giving up false beliefs for Lent. And we're excited about this. Uh, we've heard from a number of folks um, that have kind of said, somebody else said to me this morning, I was just like, I'm really looking forward to this. This is uh, the, the, the topics that we're going to be talking about f feel important to me. And so today, our first one is we're going to be giving up the God's blueprint view of life, that everything that's ever happened is a part of God's plan. And to help us do this uh, this morning, I am thrilled to invite in remotely uh, my friend, uh, Rebecca Janvren. I'll say hi to Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca, are you there? Hello. I hope you can hear and see me. Hi. <laughs> we can. Yes. Hello. It's good to have you here. Uh, Rebecca is among uh, many other uh, awesome qualities. Uh, she is two things that are going to help us for today. She is uh, one of the more theologically minded individuals in our community, and so that's going to help uh, because we're going to be talking about ways we make sense of God, theology today. And then she's also a no-nonsense, like high BS radar person in our church, and uh, that's really important for today because uh, she is going to act as interviewer or avatar for like the whole community in, uh, in interviewing me about a topic that I am like super passionate about. And so I need somebody who's no nonsense to be like, all right, Vince, that's enough, stop. Now let me talk and, and let, me, uh, let me interrupt and let me ask a question. So, in, so I don't keep you here all day. We have Rebecca with us. So at this point, um, I suppose we, we've talked about what we're gonna begin with and let me cede leadership to you, Rebecca, as you take over. For sure, for sure. Um, so one of the things about God having a plan for all of us, uh, how could that possibly be a bad thing, Vince? What are some of the overt ways that uh, God having a blueprint or a plan uh, manifests in our lives? The overt ways that that's a bad thing for us. Love it. Yeah, great question. I think that there is a great deal uh, of experience for probably many of us that have heard like God has a plan and that has maybe come off as comforting or maybe that was the story for somebody uh, in our past, a, a parent or a grandparent that maybe uh, had that experience of God has a plan was a very comforting message. But there are many at the same time who, for whom God has a plan, God has a blueprint for everything that's ever happened, is not a comforting message. It's actually a tormenting message. And so those are some of the things that I want to bring up today. Um, yeah, overtly, the way this happens is like I remember a young couple that I knew uh, that had a miscarriage. And obviously they were devastated. And, uh, and this family was a religious family. And I remember that many of the religious people around them trying to make sense of how, like, what do you do now? How do you respond to this? Why did this happen? And I remember phrases like, you don't understand why God allowed this, but someday you will. I remember that being a phrase that was delivered to this family. And I was not in the minds of this couple, so I, d I don't know how they received it, but I remember myself feeling like that's not a good enough response. I just remember feeling really torn up about that. And, and part of it is that it, it tapped into something that's personal for me, that uh, when I was 15 years old, I lost my mom to cancer. And that's a story that uh, I've talked about pretty regularly here in, uh, in settings at Brownline. So formational to that experience for me is that I never felt like God spoke to me like, 
saying that like uh, you know in all of my questions of like you know how do I how do I put one foot in front of the other why did this happen you know I asked all the same questions but I never felt like God communicated to me well it, I allowed cancer for a reason it was never that kind of message to me and I just remember then like being around this couple that was being told things like it must have been allowed for some reason by God. And it just, it just felt like, I don't know, like I, I, that's not the God that I've experienced. I don't think God would, would go there. And so I, I think that they're, they're, that is a picture that um, is really overt, I think, because it's like people saying things, trying to make sense of things right in front of somebody and, and communicate it to, to them. Uh, the word in counseling settings for this kind of thing is spiritual bypassing. I wonder if anybody's heard that phrase before, but the idea is like you're bypassing pain that somebody's experiencing, the actual feelings that somebody's bringing to you to try to like make your your understanding of the spiritual work. Uh, and so you're, uh, I, 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 there are harmful versions of this that are especially bad, like you... Um, you tell you tell somebody that like oh, okay you uh, you had that miscarriage and God must be teaching you a lesson so like God is was actively involved in this horrible thing that happened or my mom got cancer God was teaching her a lesson or teaching my family a lesson that's the more harmful like the God was actively involved but I there's also like a version of this that's less like it, it's more like God was passively allowed it. God passively allowed my, my mom to have cancer or this, this couple I knew to have a miscarriage. And I just, even that feels like it harmful to me. It feels like it doesn't help. And like if I witnessed a person, uh, if I witnessed like uh, an aggressor um, trying to take advantage of a victim and, and somebody else was around and had the power to stop that aggressor from hurting that victim, but then decided not to, I wouldn't let that person off the hook, right? Like, if they were capable of doing it. And so, why do we have to, tr like, I don't understand why we have to treat God differently. God somehow is like, well, if God decided that that person needed to suffer, then it must be okay. And none of that has sit right with me. So, so I suppose that's what I mean by, like, there's a tormenting version of hearing that God is in control and has a perfect plan. Rebecca? For sure, for sure. Um, uh, Alicia in the chat just now said, uh, I've only ever heard someone use the phrase God's plan when it is specifically referring to tragedy or bad things happening, yeah, exactly. which is very true. <laughs> um, but I think there's also some more, not just these overt, uh, very clearly harmful things that can be seen with the idea that God is like some distant CEO who will pencil you in in three to five business months. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> more, there's, there's, there's subtler problems with this, I think. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is where maybe, you know, we hear about more spiritual bypassing type experiences and it's just obvious uh, that we, you'd never want to do that. But I do think there are, I think there are subtle ways. I think, so I remember... Um, uh, after the, uh, the uh, Newtown school shooting uh, in 2012, I remember talking with a friend who, about belief in God, and this friend knew I'm a pastor, but I guess we were in, a, in, in like a, a, a safe conversation, and he said to me, I used to believe in God, and I want to still, but after the Newtown shooting, I just can't anymore. And, you know, like, behind that is this idea of, like, how can 
I think there's a question that we all, like, uh, I'll put it up on the screen here for us because I think it kind of captures the question that we all ask. Is like, how can I believe in a good, uh, a loving and powerful God when there is so much evil and suffering in the world? And that kind of, that question is not often on the front burner for us, but it's always on the back burner. And that's why I think it's like the subtle thing that slowly like tears at you of like, oh yeah, how can I believe in a loving and powerful God when that's the case? And uh, like there's a, there, uh, there's moments where I think this ends up on the front burner, and so then we're actively thinking about it, but then maybe life gets ahead of us and we get away. I, I think of uh, one uh, h historical example of this in American history is uh, this guy, William R. Jones, who in uh, the 60s and 70s uh, wrote a great deal about racism in America. He's a black man talking about the experience of being uh, a black man in America in the 60s and 70s. And uh, he asked the question, uh, the name of his book is, Is God a White Racist? And the idea behind it was like, so we live in a world where we keep saying that God is in control and God is, you know, has a plan for the world and for life. And I, he's saying, am a black man in America and my experience is terrible. So I guess the only thing we conclude is that God is a white racist. And this was like a stirring critique that activated a lot of people who were in the world of theology around like, you know, what do we do about the way that we think about God and we make sense of God for people when that's such a really valid question? We don't have a response to that. It's not good enough when we just say, well, God has a plan. Uh, so how do, we, how do we respond better? And, uh, and so I think that's an example of like the subtle things like coming to the forefront and somebody who's courageous enough to say like, can we talk about this? Because it's just kind of sitting there simmering on the back burner and we don't have good enough responses yet. Uh, or or I, I suppose, you know, the, the other thing that gets to mind for me for subtle ways that this manifests for us is like just day-to-day -day life. You, you prayed for something and it didn't happen if you're a person of faith. Or you felt depressed and you prayed to feel better, but you didn't. And so maybe it, I guess it must not have been God's will is what we say. Or like you got divorced and you wonder like, does that mean that I failed God's plan for my life? Because I like, or, or was I just deceiving myself all this time? Time because maybe that person wasn't the right plan for me. And all of these things just might like sit in the background for us and we can't ask them because if we ask them, then we're, we're I don't know, we're, we're bringing up the question, you know, like, but, uh, you know, like what, God must be loving and powerful and I can't answer that. And so we, we I think that so often people just kind of go about their lives secretly hating God because you can't bring it up. And, and I, I see that, or like, just in being with people as a pastor, like, I just see people all the time, like, talking about this God as though that God is really mean and terrible to them, not good to them at all, and then they go and they sing, like, worship songs at church, and they can't honestly sing them because they feel like the God is terrible to them because they've been told that anything that happens in life must be God's plan. And I, like, I, I think I just feel sad. I feel sad that we, we have to, if we believe in God, that's the automatic assumption that everything that's ever happened must have been that God's plan. And so we're just going to, we're going to grit our teeth and bear it. We can't be honest, even though we kind of secretly are frustrated with this God, but we can't say it. Uh, that inconsistency, that dissonance, I think it just tears at us. And it's no wonder to me that over time, we're just like, 
lose interest because why would you want to keep up in a in a system that feels so inconsistent it makes it makes it makes complete sense to me that if that is the only option to believing in god that everything that's ever happened must have been that god's will it makes sense to me that we leave faith uh, and so i think that's the subtle thing it just kind of tears at you slowly over time for sure for sure uh it keep, it strikes me as well that um there's something about this whole God has a plan thing that then when you look at it from different perspectives, it sort of automatically disincludes people who aren't privileged, people mm. who uh, struggle or people, you know, like then, you know, some rich white businessman can say, well, clearly my success is God's plan. And it's like, yes. or was it the system supporting you all along? You know, and we don't, we, we don't stop to question these systemic issues as much because, well, it's all up to God. Clearly, we're doing things right, yes, but that I doesn't think that's, feel satisfactory. I think that's exactly right, and I think that's why you know the critique of William R. Jones, for example, a black man in America, is so important because it's like, hey, is anybody going to talk about this? <laughs> is anybody going to talk about the fact that what we believe and claim like doesn't match reality? And uh, and so it's really important that like a marginalized voice brings that to the to the ter to the surface. Whereas if we just let powerful voices keep talking about God has a plan, that makes sense because God has a plan tends to work out for people who are, for example, like me, a, a white middle-class guy, things are going to work out for me. So generally speaking, I can keep that pot on the back burner and it won't come to the front burner and stress me out. But that's not true for people who have more marginalized identities. That's very true. That's very true. All right. This kind of sucks, Ben. <laughs> God, the CEO, not a great, not a great belief. Yeah. Let's give it up. Let's forego it. What does that mean for us? What's the alternative? Okay, yes. And so this is, this is what I'm excited to talk about. And Rebecca, you're going to have to reel me in if I go, if I go too long or if I, if I get off on a tangent. Don't um, worry, I'm excited so, too. Okay, good. So <laughs> seeing something different than life is God's blueprint, I think requires us um, exchanging our lenses, uh, particularly our lenses. I mentioned last week that this week we're going to talk about the patriarchal understanding of power. You know, power is like this, the essence of patriarchy, right? Like if you've heard the phrase toxic masculinity, it's like all of the obsessions of being in control and winning and dominating and conquest, right? All of these things that kind of like make up the, the negative versions of the male psyche that so inform the way it American men definitely are, are formed to think about who they are or make up the identity of who they are. All of that is such a huge dictator of what we think of when we think of this question, when we're thinking about how can God be loving and powerful? When we hear powerful, we hear all controlling, dominating, conquest, winning. How can God be both loving and those things at the same time? And our brain breaks when we think about the suffering and the evil in the world. I think that's because when we're looking at this through the lens of patriarchy, we assume that power comes first. We assume that like, yeah, power is just the foundational reality. Like power just means all controlling. Power means dominating. Power means able to do anything uh, that anyone can imagine because that's what we think power of. And then we figure out what love means after that. 
we take power as granted, and then we try to understand, like, well, what does love mean? If power is all dominating and all controlling, then we'll figure out what love means. And I think what we're encouraged to do here is say, what if we flip that? And we say, love is foundational. Love is the thing that's, that's at, the, at the baseline. And then we figure out what power is after we take granted love. So we don't take power granted and then figure out love. We take love as granted and we figure out power. And that, I think, puts us into a different way because then we're talking about what it means that God is powerful in the world in a very different way. I agree. I think it's also important to stress that God's love would then necessarily have to be somewhat divorced from power. It would have yes. to come from a place of empathy, health. Like we remove the toxicity from love. We, it's just the best kind of relationship, supportive, healthy. Everybody's allowed to grow and change and evolve as needed. Yes, exactly. And so, so um, this, is, this is not the most popular way to talk about power, uh, whether you're talking about like who write, people who write about God or people who write about just the world in general in America. This is, this is a minority view. But there's actually a lot of writings out there, a lot of scholarship out there about a non-patriarchal understanding of power, power that comes after love rather than power that comes first. And most notably, that would be people who write under the category of what's called open and relational theology. So from this view, from an open and relational theology view about God and God's power, uh, we're moving away from a view where life is a one-way street. Life is a one-way street is like, you know, an unaffected God up in the sky is just imposing God's power and will on the world. It's a one-way street. But in the open and relational view, it's a two-way street. It's a back and forth. And so we're not just talking about a powerful God that just imposes God's will on the world. We're talking about a relational dynamic, right? Love comes first, love and relationship. There's back and forth. And in a lot of ways, we already talk about this when we talk about God, right? We talk about being in a relationship with God. We talk about prayer being interaction with God. So this is not new stuff, but maybe it's like taking it a step further. So God is a lover. God has feelings. God is affected by things. And Jesus totally shows us this picture of God. Like if we look at Jesus, he's very emotional at times in the Gospels. And this loving God does have power, but the idea is that also every other like creature in the universe, the billions upon trillions of things in the world also have power. And so it's not just God's will that matters. God is in relationship with all of these other things that also have wills. And so every human being has a will, right? Like I can choose to do things that are loving or I can choose to do things that are less than loving. Uh, cancerous cells have a will, right? If I'm thinking about my own story, losing my mom. Natural chaos has a will, right? You know, it's like the, we live in this world where like even insurance policies in America refer to hurricanes or tornadoes as acts of God. But like, in, from this perspective, it's like, no, those things don't have to be acts of God. It can just be, it can be natural chaos that has its own will. Systemic injustice has its own will. The racism that William R. Jones is talking about, like, how can we just call this God's will? Well, that's because systemic injustice has a will. It's trying to ruin things. It's trying to spread evil. And uh, authoritarian Russian leaders have a will, right? That's something that we're seeing right now in the world. That is not God's will. That is Russian authoritarian leaders' wills. And therefore, whatever happens in life is not just God's will. It's like this, 
it, there's no way to say why anything happens in life. It's just this impossibly complex combination of all of these factors, all of these different things that have wills, and God's a part of it, and maybe God is the most powerful part of it. And that, I think, is the hope in this, is that as we live in this world that's so full of like forces that might cause the way things happen or cause evil or cause sad things that we experience, there is still a God that we can look to that is the most powerful force in all of this. And most powerful does not mean controlling but it can mean powerful in different ways. And I, I think that that's just so important. And we obviously we need to talk about what are those different ways in which God is powerful. <laughs> but I think it's so important that we can get to this place because then we don't have to call a hurricane or racism or my mom getting cancer or my friends having a miscarriage God's will. We don't have to call those things that and bypass their pain. Instead, we can reach out for God. God, be powerful in the midst of this horribleness. Be, show us what it looks like to follow you in the midst of this horribleness. But we're not secretly wondering, like, God, why did you allow this? And then losing our trust in God because we can't make sense of that question. Yeah, for sure. My favorite thing about this open and relational stuff is the way that it encourages you to view God not as some distant CEO, but as an ally, a partner. Somebody yes. who's right yes. there with you. Yeah, I think, I think CEO is a perfect image that we're trying to move away from, right? It's like this idea that like anything that ever could happen in the universe ends up on the CEO's desk. And the CEO, you know, sees it and is like, oh, Vince's mom getting cancer. I don't want that, but twist my arm. I guess I'll, I'll allow it. And then you, you pass the bill. And I just... I think that, again, like that, that feels dissatisfying to me. I, I, I think I am drawn to the picture of God that Jesus shows us, like, like what you were saying, Rebecca, of right next to us, with us in situations, not distant CEO, you know, tinkering from afar. And, and I think, so that, that's where I think we have to rethink what power is from this non-patriarchal view. I think what we, can, what we can see power to be in different ways is rather than controlling power or coercive power, like you take over somebody or you just control the outcome of something, we get influential power. And I think this is one of the key distinctions that we want to make, is we want to move away from certain understandings of power and toward different understandings of power. And I think influential power is beautiful. Influential power means that, like, God, ha God has the ability to influence and move in any human, in any will in the universe. Like, when we, when we are praying for someone to to, to uh, be transformed, when we're praying for somebody to be healed, when we're praying for somebody to feel that God is comforting them, God has the ability to be present to all human beings in every moment. There is never like a calculation of time of, can I be over here and over here at the same time? God has the ability to be present to every single one of us in every moment, presenting all of God's self. And that is, I think, a beautiful picture of power and it's not controlling. It's never like, like, for example, when we think about like reading the Bible, like we don't have a Bible of words that were like 
dictated to somebody and they just like wrote down exactly what was dictated to them. We have a Bible written by people who were powerfully influenced and inspired by God that came to them and didn't override their faculties, but rather was worked with them and partnered with them. And they wrote down what they felt they were experiencing from that God. And it's affecting all of us even today because those words have endured in such a beautiful way. And it is deeply human and deeply connected with God at the same time. And that is a picture of partnership. It's a picture of an all-influencing God, but not a God that like overrides or takes over somebody. And, and I, I think that that feels important too, that we, that we embrace that sort of image of power. Like when, when we see somebody, you know, coerce somebody else or manipulate somebody else or make them do something, we think that that's abusive. We would never want to believe in a God that would abuse somebody like that. We want to believe in this all-influencing God. And so I think that's, that's a key way to re-understand power that helps us here. And then the other way is this idea of relational power rather than unilateral power. Unilateral power is like what a tyrant would use. A tyrant will make decisions for their kingdom having nothing to do with like what people in their kingdom think, right? It's like, I don't care what they feel. I don't care how they respond to this. I'm just going to act. And I'm sure that none of us can come up with a current historical example of this happening. But relational power is the opposite of this. It is a leader, a king, a person in control or person in power that instead of saying I'm unaffected by all of the people that uh, I, con uh, I like have influence over, I am deeply affected by all of the all of the people and their feelings that I have influence over. I would never make a choice at like that 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 isn't accounting for the way that this will impact others. And I think when we imagine God in that way, we get a really different picture of what would it mean for God to use God's power to help in a situation, to comfort in a situation, to guide in a situation, to heal in a situation relational power is really different from unilateral power. So I, I don't know, I, I wonder what, what that makes you think, Rebecca. <laughs> I think that both of these, influential and relational power, are power shaped, molded, and because of love. Like love is first. Exactly. The love empathy first, is power there. Second. The partnership is there. The, uh, yeah, it's all that almost we're almost saying that God's love is more important than God's power. It's, it's there first. It will always be there. That is the thing that makes God God more than the powerfulness, I think. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think that, I think that this, um, in, 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 a, in a big way, this makes sense of prayer for me. So the, from, from this view that we're talking about of influential power and relational power, we, we pray to a God that is always bringing God's whole self to a situation. And so if something that we are praying for and longing for, and we're just so, like, like if we're experiencing a long uh, bout of depression, or if somebody that we love is sick, and we're praying for that again and again and again, and that thing is not happening, that we, we don't have to conclude that God is withholding from us that God must not want this for some mysterious reason. We don't have to conclude that God must be allowing that horrible thing to continue for God's own plan. Instead, we can believe in this God that is deeply involved in the thing that is going on, 
and that can call us into further prayer, that can call us into like, like believing that God is always on our side. But we, we, what, we, what we realize is that we live in this world that no problem or trauma or evil can single-handedly be snapped away, right? And that, that involves us kind of like taking real stock of the world that we live in, taking real stock of the world that William R. Jones looks at and says, is God a white racist? Real stock of the world that my friends look at and think, how can I, how can I go on? How can I try to continue my family if we've just had this miscarriage? It involves us like looking with like really clear eyes at the, at the world that we live in. But we do not have to despair at the same time. What this does is it makes sense of prayer as this partnership where we avoid this pitfall of like, well, if something didn't happen, it must be God's will. But we also don't go in this, in this world of like over-spiritualizing everything where we're like, oh, okay, well then I just have to, you know, it's, it's my fault for not praying enough. Because this view allows us to see that like the world is so much more complex than me praying enough for something. Or, and, and so much more complex than just God's will being imposed. It's the two-way street between God and everything in creation. There are all of these interconnected and interrelated forces, and that's a big world. That's a big world that I can't always feel certain about, but it's a big world that I am not alone in. And we again go back to this idea that the most powerful thing about God is God's presence, God's ability to be present to every single human being in, at all times, in, in, in all of God's self. And that, to me, is the, 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 the trust that can be built when we're living in that world and we're thinking about that God that way is so much stronger than a world that maybe feels a little bit smaller, like we can manage it, but we keep wondering about why God keeps allowing horrible things. I think that the trade-off there is worth it. And to me, it feels like a God that I want to follow rather than a God that... I keep having these aching questions about that don't get answered. For sure. For sure. Uh, Vince, I want to direct us into uh, the final part of this. We've talked about uh, yeah. Yeah. the sort of theory of open and relational, uh, this open and relational stuff. And I want to sort of get into the practice. Like, how do we bring this into our spiritual practices, into our life? I, I am going to share real fast. One of my favorite things about this is that it has transformed my prayer life. Because I yeah, used to yeah. believe that I had to bring my best self to God, that I had to have a routine. I had to be like devout and on my knees and really thinking about it and like, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And that now I imagine Jesus is sitting on my couch while I'm doing dishes and I just sort of turn over my shoulder and go, hey, so that thing in the Ukraine really sucks. What are we doing about that? You know, and it's like prayer is a continued conversation and it just feels so much more natural and easy for me. And so I just want to sort of open it up for you to talk about what are ways we can bring this open and relational idea into our practices. I love that. I think, I think what you're getting at there is a perfect example of the, we're moving away from the like puppet master high up in the sky God, the, the cosmic CEO God, and we're getting more to a God like Jesus shows us that is walking among us. And what does it mean that God is spirit and continues to operate in the way that Jesus operated in the Gospels? The spirit of God walks among us, is with us while we're doing dishes, is speaking to us and influencing from there, from on the ground, all around, influencing each of us, coming to each person, being 
fully present to each person, that is what it looks like for God to powerfully move and for us to, like, interact in our prayer lives. That is so different than, like, we're, you know, like, even I, I love that you brought in, like, the, the physical postures, you know, it's like down on your knees, looking up at the sky, crying out, and, you, you know, you really, like, it, you even have to shout because God's so far away. I think that's what we're trying to move away from uh, with, uh, with what we're encouraging. So if, if you are wanting to try to, as we've, uh, as we've set up uh, this Lent experiment, try to live yourself into a new belief, we're moving away from the God's blueprint view, and we're moving into this different view of what does it mean for me to, to believe in God's power in a different way. I think my first, like, practical thing for your prayer life, as you asked, Rebecca, is to cry out with God rather than at God. I want you to cry out with God rather than at God. And what I mean by that is we, if we're in a place where we're experiencing trouble, where we're experiencing pain, where we're experiencing maybe like being marginalized, we need to cry out, why? Like, how can this be? That just like, it just, it flows out of us. And what this view suggests to us, or what, the, what I, let me start with what God's blueprint view suggests to us, is we're yelling that at God. How could you allow this? How could you let this be the case? Or if we've gotten those more harmful messages, why are you doing this to me, God, right? And so we just, oh, it's all at God. It's all, oh, my, why, why, why? I want you to still shout why. I think we all need to shout why when we're experiencing pain or suffering or marginalization or anything. But I want you to shout why with God. We want to give ourselves full permission to be angry at life. But that, that whole idea of being angry at God because of how your life is playing out, that is just, I think that's going to leave that simmering pot on the back burner of just continued inconsistency and dissonance, and it's never going to go away. It's just going to keep making you question God, keep making you feel mistrustful with God. I think if we can cry out with God at the horrible things that happen in life, if we are seeing God as the one alongside us, I mean, I, like you get full permission to hate life. Just don't like hate life with God rather than hate God. Like that is, that's so much better because I think we see God as this like fellow sufferer with us. Uh, there's a, uh, to bring in one more like theological piece, Rebecca, there's a Korean American open and relational theologian that uh, talks about how uh, Americans and Europeans don't have a word uh, in, in their, like, in our language about suffering that is unjust or suffering that is undeserved or suffering that is unfair. And uh, Andrew Sung Park, this Korean-American theologian, he uh, connects the God of the open and relational view with this Korean concept of Han. And I wonder if anybody has ever heard of the Korean concept of Han. Han is unjust, unfair, meaningless pain, and it has a generational impact. It carries over to the next generation. And this is a deficit in the way that Americans and Europeans think about pain. We think about pain as like, oh, well, there must be a reason for it, uh, and we, we use the God's blueprint view. But in, in, in the, from the Korean outlook, there's this idea of like some pain doesn't have meaning. It doesn't have to make sense. It's Han. And what I think this, the, uh, getting, uh, crying out why with God allows us to just accept the Han of our life, the Han of our world, the Han of those around us, our, our, our friends, our neighbors, the people uh, across the world in Ukraine right now, the Han of all things. 
we can cry out to God with, we can cry out to, uh, uh, with God and say, why, why, why? We pray that you would end this Han. We pray that you would come in and fight this Han, that you would be alongside and comfort those who are hurting as a result of this Han. That, I think, is, is really generative when we cry out to God, cry out with God rather than at God. So that's, that's one suggestion I have. That's a decent one. That's a decent one. I think it also helps move us from a place of uh, assuming that everything is just going to work itself out to a place yes. of after yeah. that. Of like, how, okay, if God is my ally in this, what do we do? Where, where do I protest? Who do I donate to? What is the, how do I partner with? How do we make these things our problem and fix them rather than like throw up our hands? Exactly right, and I think of I think of a lot of the um, the callous responses to suffering that we've had in media, uh, like in, in or in like in the the largest uh, most callous responses we've seen in the media after horrific uh, tragic events that sometimes come from Christians with this idea of thoughts and prayers, right? Like I think the open and relational view removes us out of that idea of just like well, like we we, we punt to thoughts and prayers because secretly in the back of our minds we're like well I guess it must be God's will, so I guess that's all I can do. This gets us out of that. It gets us into the, the idea of like, we are partnering with God to end evil and injustice and suffering. And the, our God is, is, is on the move and always bring God's whole self to this. So how can I be a part of that? It calls me into action rather than complacency in things like this. For sure. For sure. Let's keep going. What else can we do? Okay. Um, all right. So next I'm thinking about the idea of praying to we, when we, when we, an important part of prayer, an important part of like why anybody shows up to church is like, is there a hope that is beyond what's right in front of me, right? Like, is it, can I, like, are you just pitching a world, Vince, where there's like, oh, you know, like, so I guess God is so limited, there's no hope, right? No, we have to cry out for what is hope? What is beyond what I can see in front of me that I can, you know, believe in so that I don't feel so downcast and, 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 and terrible all the time? And uh, I think this is absolutely a part of this different view of God we're talking about. But again, it looks different than the all-controlling God. I think what I want to encourage us is to look to all God, to God's all-powerfulness in terms of resurrection, what we're talking about during Easter and during Lent. We're talking about resurrection after death. We want to look to God's all-powerfulness as resurrection after death, not as like, why didn't you stop this thing before it happened? And I think, uh, like, th this is this, the lie that, that the God's blueprint uh, belief uh, pitches to us is that the only way to have hope in an all-powerful God is that that God stopped the thing before it happened. Uh, that's the lie that, we, that we're told, and that torments us. And we start to feel like, well, may, yeah, maybe God isn't all-loving. God is just brute power, and I can't trust God. Or maybe God doesn't exist, and that's what I conclude. But I think there is a different way to believe in an all-powerful God. And it's not about why things happened. It's about where things might end up. We believe in the God that in Jesus shows us that death is not the end of the story. That at, the that at the end of the story is resurrection. There is always renewal after loss. The worst possible things can be turned on their side and humiliated to become things that shape us and form us forever. After my mom died, to can died because of cancer, what that set me on was a trajectory of a young kid, earlier than anyone usually has to in our world, facing grief. And that grief shaped me and formed me and turned me into somebody who asked deep questions and turned me into somebody who saw the pain of other people. 
That is God resurrecting me after a death. That is God renewing me after a loss, changing who I am. That is all-powerful. That is saying, oh, that tragic thing that happened, that doesn't get the last word. Resurrection gets the last word. That is a picture of an all-powerful God, and it's different than looking to the all-powerful God that torments us because they didn't stop pain before it happened. What if, what if we just give up that, that, that just awful, tormenting voice that says, but God could have stopped it, and God didn't, so God must have allowed it. What if we can throw that aside and just think, in this horribleness that I am facing, in this pain that I'm experiencing, could a God redeem even this? That's what it means to believe in the God that Jesus shows us. And that, I think, is a powerful picture of a bigger-than-us hope, a powerful picture of a God that is so much more resourced than we are, and we don't have to look at the bad things that come to us and think that it, like, it, makes, it makes us suspicious that that God even exists. We can turn to God all the more with the next thing that comes to us and say, God, again, I need you to redeem something because I can't. For sure, for sure. Uh, I want to pick up another thing in the chat. Um, Angela just said uh, that her, I think mother said that sometimes tears are the best prayer. Yes. yes. And that's really powerful for this, uh, for sure. Of like, yeah, all, sometimes all you could do is cry, but it's easier to do that knowing God is sitting next to you and, you know, holding your hand through it and telling you there's going to be another day. There's going to be something beyond this. We just have to keep going. Yes. Well, I think one last um, experiment that I could suggest, Rebecca, is to, um, again, the, the idea here is we're trying, to, we're trying to change some of our practices so that our beliefs can follow suit. You might feel like it's a little bit hard for your beliefs to just change immediately. That's because it is hard for that. No human being can just do that for themselves. But if we can experiment with things that might affect us over time, that's where I think these experiments might help us. So again, I'm, I'm suggesting that we look to all God, God's all-powerfulness, but as resurrection rather than as like stopping something before it happened. And I am suggesting this, this first piece that we, that we uh, are um, crying out why with God rather than at God. My last suggestion is that we pay attention to the words that we use when we are praying. And so if you're going about life and you're a person of faith, you know, somebody will ask you to pray for them, or you might feel compelled to pray for something. And what I want to suggest is some verbs that I have found really helpful, because like when you're praying, you want to be like, okay, uh, I'm going to pray that you would do something, God. So I'm going to throw some verbs up on the screen that I really like lately. Uh, I think this is great. I think that these kinds of words get us at the all-influencing God, not the all-controlling God. The all-influencing God is, I think, a God that we can trust always, that is always bringing God's whole self, and that has great, great power to bring about hope when things seem hopeless. The all-controlling God, that, the, 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 when we pray to that God, we start to mistrust that God because that God keeps not answering us. So these are verbs that I think will, will shape us to pray to an all-influencing God. God, move in this way. Join what's happening in this way. Meet so-and-so. Partner with so-and-so. Draw the world toward. Woo the, this person toward. Lure us all toward love in this way. Come alongside us in this way. I like these words because I think that these will, can slowly affect the way that we're thinking if we're praying these sorts of words. So 
I, I thought I would just give us the, a, a list of words that I like as a, as a final suggestion. I like those words. <laughs> I think this is a great way to start if this has not been part of your prayer practice uh, to this point. Thinking about God as a partner, I think this is going to be a great resource. Well, at this point, I think it would be good for me to pray and maybe use some of these words that I'm talking about in prayer. And um, so uh, I want to turn to just kind of like letting us sit in this place and trying to uh, receive the idea of a all-influencing God here connecting with us, able to be present to each one of us at the same time and with God's whole self. I want to pray for that. And so uh, at this point, I'll say, Rebecca, thank you so much for being our sort of interviewer and guide through this process. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. I really, I like this God and I like this topic. So yes, thank exactly. you. <laughs> thank you, Rebecca. Let me pray for us as uh, I close our message for today. <clears throat> all right. God, all influencing God. There are so many things that activate that question that we talked about for us individually. How can I believe in God when such horrible things happen? And some of those things are really personal to us, and some of those things are really big. They hap they're happening across the world, and they just fill us with grief. And we want to be able to pray in a way that leaves us feeling trusting of you, that you are showing up to these problems, that you have a hope to offer to these problems and these troubles and these stresses and these hurts. And so I pray for any of us who have fallen victim to this false belief of God just has a plan, God must be allowing it for a reason. Anyone who has fallen victim to that false belief and it's hurt them, here is your time now, God, all influencing God to come and be with that person. Any of us who feel that way, I pray that even now in our, in our bodies and in our minds, we would feel that we are not alone and there is a God that is bringing God's whole self that would never withhold from us with us right now caring for us, empathizing with us, moving in our life and in our world to bring us into a full sense of healing and relief from the pain that that belief has caused. You are moving and shaping things on our behalf, and you call us to partner with that. And so, God, for whoever of us are receiving in this prayer, we pray that you would guide us. Show us how to participate in this. Show us if any of these experiments that we're talking about this morning feel helpful, awesome. Show us how to use those. And if there's something else, if there's another way that we can, that we can shift our belief, move to something that will treat us better, I pray that you would teach us that. And I pray that you'd bring us companions along the way, friends that we can be honest with and say, yeah, this isn't working for me. And that we would know that you are that constant companion and you would never withhold from us and you would never allow something to happen to us just to teach us a lesson. You are so much more invested in that 
You are so much closer than that. You are not that distant CEO God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for showing us this in so many ways. Any of us that have had experiences that have validated that you are a close God. We thank you for all the experiences shared in our chat this morning. We thank you for the picture and the model of Jesus that shows us this close God. The God that, that, that taught his disciples to pray God's will be done because God's will is not always done. And so we receive from you, God, this morning in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.